New Year. Glad you guys uh, were able to make it and be a part of, uh, of our first service of the new year. We are now five total days into it. I know that you guys, t- time flies. What can I say? It's, uh, it's moving right along. Time flies when you're having fun, and time flies when you're not, apparently, too. So, um, you know, it, it's kind of one of those days as we look ahead and look forward to what God is going to do. Um, you know, we see five days gone of this year. And now we get to look ahead and say, okay, we have 360 more to go. Do you realize that that's an open book for us? It is a, it is a book for us to, to write our own pages and write our own thing. What are you going to do with it? That's what we started talking about last week. You know, um, spent a lot of time watching football over the last couple of days. Um, enjoyed it. Um, also got to be a part of the Hidden Life Conference that we had here on Friday night and Saturday. And man, that was great. It was a, it was a great challenge. And uh, I look forward to uh, the follow-up Bible study we're going to be having with that. But, you know, as we see these things move and we see all the time moving along, I think about the fact that 2014 is here. And with 2014 being here, my, my eldest son will be a teenager this year, which is a very scary thing. Um, some of you have already experienced that at some point in time in your life. I have not. I've worked with teenagers since I was 17 years old. Um, I've never had one living in my house, and it's a whole new thought process for me, and I'm not real uh, excited about it, kind of. But, Stephen, do you have a question or a comment? <laughs> yes, he is. I, I understand that. Yeah, he has been since he was five. But the, uh, the, the thing, yeah, and he doesn't get to because 99 cents is a whole lot cheaper than 12.99. But the uh, the thing is, is that you know I, I look and I see about time flying, and I, and I think about the the kids even that I've worked with over time, the the ones that I've I've had in my youth groups and so on and so forth. A lot of them are married and have kids already. I mean, it's just crazy to think about how quickly. Well, some of them are sitting right back over here. But the uh, the thing is, is that they are. You know, adults and, and raising kids, it makes me like a grandpa kind of thing, and that's just not right. You know, I'm not even 38 yet. You know, th- those are the things that we think about, and I think, man, how quickly time flies and how quickly it gets away from us if we don't set something out there for us to strive for. And we talked about last week, don't waste your life. I want my life to count. I want your life to count. I want the church's life to count. I don't want to just do the routine things of church. I don't want to just play church on Sundays or Saturday nights or, or during the week or any of those. I don't want to do that. And how do we not? And I, I told you, I've been watching a lot of football um, these last couple of, uh, couple of weeks and, and being able to, to catch up and, and watch. But the thing that blows me away is watching these guys declare for the draft. Um, you know, they, oh, I'm done. I don't want to finish up college. I want to declare for the draft. Because there's, there's more money in that. I mean, in all honesty, that's... That's the way they're going to they're gonna be able to go, and the amount of money they're going to make in a signing bonus is more than I'm going to make in my lifetime. So, I mean, they're probably making the right decision if they, if they get drafted. And I like sports. I like to watch it. I like to see all those things. But it got my mind thinking <clears throat> about all the kids that play sports, all the kids that grow up playing sports, all the time that we invest. And I am not against it at all. I grew up playing sports. I played basketball. I played soccer i played baseball i played my parents were the ones that had to drive to each place all the time whether it be at a practice or to a game or to a tournament out of state or a tournament in state or whatever it was we were going all the time the only thing my parents ever laid out was if it was on a sunday i had to go to church didn't get to go to to the game that was the only thing my parents ever did but we were always going all the time and i think about that and the time that, that goes into it it was a time wasted you know was it time that, that was wasted i enjoyed playing but all the extra stuff did it really have that extra benefit 
And it was a question that, that has come to my mind, especially having kids now, getting them involved in it. And I started looking, and I said, you know, these guys that are getting into the draft, these guys that are declaring for the draft, they're going to be millionaires. and just They're probably millionaires now, because once they declare for the draft, they don't have to worry about being college eligible anymore, and then that agent can come in and give them all kinds of money. So they're probably already millionaires, but they're going to be millionaires when they sign their contracts. What does it take to get to that point? And is that what it's all about? I started looking at some, some of the different stats that we have here. You know how what the, high, the, the percentage it is for a high school football player to make it to the NFL? You know what percentage of high school football players in America make it to the NFL? If, if, you're, in, if you're above 1%, you're way too high. It is 0.09. Not even a tenth of a percent of the kids that play high school, high school football make it into the NFL. How about this? Baseball players. Now, baseball players, you have the, fi- the farm systems and things like that, so you, you have a better chance of becoming a professional. It, that, that percentage actually jumps all the way up to a half a percent. A half a percent of the, of the people who play baseball in high school will make it to the professional levels. Soccer players, I know you guys are big soccer fans in here, but 0.08%. Eight one-hundredths of a percent of the kids who play in high school. And think about how many kids play soccer. Think about how many people send their kids off to all these tournaments. And the reason for it is because they want them eventually to be the, the next Beckham. They want them to be the next LeBron James. Speaking of LeBron James, basketball. Basketball is the lowest percentage. To go from high school into the pros is 0.03%. Three one-hundredths of a percent. And think of all the people that want to play basketball. Think about everybody. And that's not even being LeBron James. That's just getting in. That's not being the best at being in. And I think about hockey because uh, all you guys are really big hockey fans. You're thinking, yeah, there's a lot of American hockey that goes on. Actually, actually the percentage is pretty good probably because there's not as many kids playing it. But it's, it's four-tenths of a percent. Yeah, four-tenths. Yeah, I know. It's great, isn't it? And you think about how much time we invest in that. And then I look at a guy like Michael Phelps. Okay, Michael Phelps, you realize when he went to the Olympics, his training schedule for his life, when he was in high school, when he was in college, all of the things, when he was in it, he was swimming for three hours a day, six days a week. And then he would go to the gym for another three hours a day. So six hours of his regular day, of his, what, let's say he's awake for for 16 hours total. So most of his day, he is working for that all for what well for a whole boatload of medals that's what for right i mean he got a ton of them right now what's michael phelps doing anybody wonder what michael phelps is doing now yeah probably yeah there's there's some things out there who knows what he's doing all for what all to to promote subway sandwiches you know i mean that is what he worked for and the reason why i asked this question i actually read an article this week about aaron Rodgers, and aaron Rodgers, many of you know packers quarterback um devout christian Devout Christian, a lot of people don't know that. He's not Tim Tebow and really open about it, but he's a devout Christian, goes to FCA, FCA events. He speaks in youth groups all around the country, so on and so forth, on, on his time off. But um, when I read this thing about Aaron Rodgers, it was, it was really interesting. Um, it was actually talking, um, it was an article on ESPN, and as you look at it on ESPN, you kind of go, wow, this is a, a crazy story that they're covering. Once again, if you have that U version, the link for the entire story is in there, and I'll let you read that at, at another time, um, or you can read it now while I'm talking, that's fine. But um, I'm going to read to you the very beginning of it, and it says this. It says, back in October, Rogers told the story about a Packers victory three years ago in Super Bowl 45. You guys remember that? I do. Um, remember, I remember sitting on the bus, he says, after we won in Arlington, Texas probably two hours after the game, thinking to myself, I'm on top of the world. 
we just accomplished the most amazing goal in football. But I'm sitting here with a semi-empty feeling because I accomplished everything I wanted to do since I was a kid, and I kind of had a moment. I said to myself, is this it? Is there more to life than this? Okay, I want you to picture this just for a second. You have the MVP who now has the keys to a brand new Camaro in his hand, a convertible Camaro. That, that's what, that was what he got for winning the MVP. He also has a championship belt. He also has a Lombardi trophy. He's just gotten done doing all the ticker tape. Everything that he wanted to do in his entire life was play football from peewee on and become a, I don't know any peewee kid that isn't like, I want to make it to the NFL and I want to play in the Super Bowl. All of them have that dream. He's just done it. He's just won it. He's just got the MVP. And two hours later, what's going through his mind? He's empty. Everything that he lived his entire life for is there more to life than this? I'll let you guys read the rest of the story and why it's on ESPN. Like I said, it's on that U version, or you can find it on ESPN. Because basically what he did is he went and, and started giving his life to causes and saying, you know, there is more to life than this because it's not just about winning the Super Bowl. Because I'm sorry to say it, for anybody who's a Chiefs fan and watched them absolutely collapse last night, there's always next year. There's going to be a next year. Cowboys fans, you've been saying that for a long time. Um, there's, there's always next year. And, and you, you think about that. If the Packers win today, I'm going to be excited. If they lose today, my life is not over. Because it might be the Super Bowl this year, but guess what? In six months, it all starts over again. And that's, we get ourselves so wrapped up in the things that, that don't matter as much. And we, we live our lives in a way. I remember I played college basketball. And my senior year, we won the national championship for the NCCAA, which is the National Christian College Athletic Association. And I remember sitting at my locker at the end of the day, end of the game, and tears were rolling down my face. And my coach came to me. He's like, what's wrong? I said, you know what? It's done. That's it. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm not ma making myself up to another level unless I become one of those heavyset guys that runs around in the church league knocking people down. That's all I've got. Basketball is now over for me. And all for what? I mean, since I was a little kid, I played basketball. And now it's like one second, it's over. That's, that's what you wanted. Our whole season, that's what we wanted. And then, pfft, now it's nothing compared to Aaron Rodgers. But still, I, I understand that feeling of there's got to be more to life than this. And I think about it, and I think what it boils down to, it's all stuff. It's all just stuff. And we talked about it last week, and I want to read again from the passage in, in Philippians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open to that. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. Once again, it's also on our Bible app there. So do me a favor, open Philippians chapter 3, and as you do, let's pray together. Father, speak to us today. Speak to us about making our lives count for you. Not just information, Lord, but transformation. Change us into who you'd have us to be. Pray it all in your name. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. We talked about that last week. Look out for the evildoers, and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus to put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. We talked about this last week. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a part of the people of Israel. I am of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered loss of all things and count them as, as a word we talked about, rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ. That's where we ended at last week. And I want to pick up here in verse 9 to start this week where it says, And be found in him. Not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Now, if you remember last week, we started out with these four characteristics of people who want to make their lives count. We saw it right here in what Paul is writing. And we started out with the first characteristic, and I wanted to get through all four, and I only got through one. Well, guess what? Today, I'm only going to get through number two, um, because last night, I went 55 minutes. And I only got through two. So I'm going to do you a favor, and I'm going to cut it a little bit short for you. I'm going to take out some of the extra. I really got going last night, so I'm going to try and control myself. Um, but we, uh, we began to talk about these four characteristics. And the first characteristic we talked about, we are to treasure Christ above all things this world has to offer. We are to treasure Christ. That was the first characteristic we talked about in people who want to make their lives count, to treasure Christ above everything else. We talked about Paul. We talked about all the things that he had, all the things that he had done, all the things he was born into. And as we looked at it, we said, yes. These are all good things, but they're not good if they're put above Christ. They're not good if they're in competition with Christ. See, he said, everything that I had, I counted as loss because Christ is the only thing in the gain column. And I see it, and we see all these things come together. And, you know, we talked about the family heritage. We talked about the social status. We talked about the biblical knowledge, the religious activity, the zeal, the passion that he had, the moral. All these things are good things that he had. But he said, without Christ, they're worthless. Without Christ, they're just temporary things that are going to fall apart. And as we looked at it last week, uh, if you weren't here, it's online. You can, do, you can get right to it even from the Paragon app. It's on there. I challenge you to listen to it. And I'm not challenging you to listen to it because of what I said, but because of what God said. And, and the, the thing that he, he laid out there and, and he, he was able to speak, and it, it, was, it was challenging for me. And, and I see it that we need to treasure Christ above all things. And here's characteristic number two. And like I said, we're only going to get through two. Hopefully we'll get through three and four next week, but there's no guarantees on that. Characteristic number two, they trust in Christ to provide everything they could ever need. They trust in Christ to provide everything they ever could need. Let's look back at the verses where we, we ended up that last week with verses seven and eight. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ. And then he starts off verse 9, and be found in him. See, when we see that he says, I have gain in Christ, he is equating gain in Christ with also being found in him. When we gain Christ, everything else is a loss. Now, I'm not sure if you're like me, but I'm a visual learner. So what I have uh, done is I've put it together. I think the way that Paul would have done it, he probably had a giant piece of concrete tablet, and he chiseled all this out. It's a whole lot easier to do this on the computer. But take a look at this. If we had a gain versus loss, a gain side versus a loss side, for Paul, what he said was, all my gain is in Christ. All my loss is in the family heritage, the social status, the biblical knowledge, the religious activity, moral lifestyle, oh, plus everything else. Everything else is loss. 
Everything we strive for is lost. Aaron Rodgers came to that. It's great to win the Super Bowl. I'm going to get paid a lot more money, but is that what life is all about? No, Christ is what life is all about. Everything else is temporary. Everything. Christ is the only thing that is eternal. Christ is the only thing that is eternal. So let's just say that you're like, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. I want to put all in I have in Christ and put everything else in the lost column. All these things are good things. All of these things are things we can, we can attain, but it should not come in place of Christ. It should not come at the expense of Christ. It should not come that way. So how do we get there? And I think we, we get this idea of, well, if everything else is lost, and I'm going to do all this for gain, what actual gain is in there? It would be kind of like me trying to sell you a car. If, if you had a, a pretty good car, all of it was good. Everything was good on it. And you came into a car lot, and I was a salesman, and I said, hey, you know what? This car is better than your car. And that's all I said? It'd be a tough sell. If I said, this car is good, your car isn't as good. That's why you came in today, to buy a car, because this car is good and this car isn't as good. That wouldn't be the sell. So, so let's point out some of the features on, on what really is the gain. So when I say, let's look at Christ and make him our all, we understand why we should make him our all. Not just because we say so, not just because Paul says so, because there's actual benefits in all. Gain number one, his righteousness covers our sin. His righteousness covers our sin. Look what it says in verse nine. And be found in him, not having righteousness in my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, his righteousness covers my sin. Righteousness is a huge word that theologians like to throw around. Righteousness is a word that means I have right standing with God. On my own, I do not. And really, the word righteousness is so important to every single one of us in this room, no matter your age, your background, not even your, your belief in God can challenge what this righteousness is. Because if we have one ultimate question in our life, if everyone has one ultimate question in our life, it is this. And that is, how can I, a sinner, be made right with a God who is holy and without sin? How can I be made right with God? I think everybody asks that question at some point in time. How do I know that I'm going to get to heaven? How do I know that I'm going to get there? And what I do when I stand before God, he's going to let me in. Most of the time we say, well, it's because of my own good deeds. Guess what? Those are rubbish. And that is not going to get us in. So we have to look at it and say, it's by God's righteousness, not by my own. And Paul is writing this to those guys we called Judaizers last week. These guys that have the Jesus plus. The Jesus plus this is what's going to get me into heaven. The Jesus plus doing, plus saying, plus acting. Those are the things that are going to get me into heaven. And God says, no. And Paul says, no, that's not it. The plus doesn't matter. The plus are good things, but that's not what's going to get you into heaven. It is Jesus and his blood and his righteousness. It's not what you do, it's what he's done. And that is very important for us to gain. See, God sees righteousness in Christ when he looks at those who have accepted him in faith. He has Christ-colored glasses on when he looks at our lives. See, we are full of sin. But when God sees us through the blood of Christ that has washed us clean, that is what makes us right in his eyes, not what we've done. Because what we've done is rubbish. Gain number two is power guarantees our resurrection. His power guarantees our resurrection. Verse 10 says that I might, might know him and the power of his resurrection. 
Let me ask you a question. Just by a show of hands, if you had to deal with some sort of hardship at some point in time in your life, from small to big, I think everybody's hand has to go up. We've all had some pain, some suffering, some loss, whether it be on a grand scale or a small scale. Something has happened that we have stopped and said, oh, that hurt. How do we get through that? How do we get through those things? How do we take the, the suffering that is there? How do, we, how do we have that pain when we have a giant mistake that creates a big problem in our life? How do we overcome the small ones, the pains, the hurts? How do we overcome losing anything that's in our loss column already? I think it's having Christ be the only thing that's in the game column. I really think that's how we get through it. I think that's how we can get through it. As a matter of fact, Paul went through more suffering than we could possibly imagine, trying to share the gospel. Paul went through it all. How did he overcome? Look what it says. Uh, if you look at the, if 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's like a list of all the things that he's had to go through in his life. As he shared the gospel, as he went from town to town. This is what it says in verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. You realize that's what they did to Jesus right before they crucified him, the 39 lashes, because 40 was illegal? because it would kill a man. So they, they put him to the brink of death five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Be careful what you think about that. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and in cold and exposure. And apart from these other things, there's the daily pressure on me, the anxiety for all the churches. We, we look at that list and we say, wow, yeah, I haven't really had to go through that for Christ. I haven't had to go through all those things. How did he get through it? How did he not say, this is enough, God. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with all this junk. Because he knew the power of the resurrection. It was a gain for him. He understood future hope that is found in the resurrection of Christ and the salvation that is found in it. That is gain number two. And gain number three is this. His satisfaction transcends our suffering. His satisfaction transcends our suffering. See, in verse 10, it says that I may know the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. That doesn't sound like the good car salesman thing that I was just telling you about. Because if we're looking at gains and we're saying, this is the car that you need to get, I can say, hey, it's got GPS. It's got heated and cooled seats. It's got all the things that you need. But the only thing is about this car is, is those heated and cooled seats are actually metal crates. And they're about as uncomfortable as you could possibly imagine. And uh, about 10 minutes worth of driving this, you're going to want to get out of the car because it's going to just hurt just that badly. But this is still a nicer car than what you've got. Right? H how many of us are going to go, you know what? I don't think so. I liked all the good things you said about it. And I like the fact that it's this, but it's, it's going to cost me more and the, it's uncomfortable. I don't, I don't really like that idea. And we look at this and we say, that's kind of what gain number three is here. It transcends our suffering. I want to share in the sufferings with Christ. That does not sound fun. I mean, the other things, they both sounded good, didn't they? The fact that his righteousness covers our sin, that means I get to go to heaven. And then also, then when we look at the other one, when it says uh, we are, have hope that is found in the resurrection, the power that is found in the resurrection of Christ, hope 
great. Salvation, great. Suffering, not so much. I mean, when we really look at it, not so much. Let's just be honest with it. Paul's taken everything the world has, that, ha, that the world has to offer, and he's put it in a lost column. He's put it in a lost column, and he looks at Christ and says, I really desire to know him more. So whatever suffering I have, I want to better understand the power of his resurrection. I want to better understand the righteousness that he has, but I also want to understand the suffering. Because what is suffering exactly? If I were to ask you, what is suffering? Suffering is really the things that we lose that are outside of Christ. Because Christ cannot be lost. Everything else can be. Everything else is temporary. Everything else that we have can be taken from us. Whether it be a job, whether it be our financial security, whether it even be a family member. Everything we have can be taken from us. The only thing that we have is eternal is Christ. And I believe in America, that's a, that's a, that's a hard thing to deal with. Because in America, we want to minimize suffering as much as possible. We want to surround ourselves with everything in the world because we want the pleasures of this world so we don't have to suffer. We rely on those things to give us our comfort and our happiness. But when we lose those things, it hurts. It hurts a lot. Now, even when we have them in the lost column and Christ over here, there's still going to be pain, but there's a different understanding that when we understand these things are temporary, we don't hold on to them as tightly. And I think that's what Paul's trying to say. Move these things over here so it transcends the suffering. I have a friend that is a pastor in Phoenix. He, was, uh, he actually played on a basketball team with me in college, um, and he was the intern before I was um, over at the church I was at in Phoenix. And, and we, were, we were friends. I helped him uh, in our youth group, did a lot of things, helped him get his church plan off the ground. It's a real big church over in Phoenix now. But he was diagnosed with the disease about two and a half years ago, same time I was going through uh, my cancer stuff, that, that he... Um, his, I, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but basically his body is shutting down. Um, there's no cure for the disease. He has, um, he has, just his muscles are shutting down. His brain will shut down. His organs will shut down. Every part about him will, will just shut down. Um, and he's been preparing for this. He's been going to doctors. And, and obviously, it, it's a hard thing on his kids. Uh, he's now with a walker. Um, you know, he used to obviously play basketball. He's only a couple years older than me now. He's with a walker. But he posted a story this week that, that really struck me. And at the same time that it struck me, it, it spoke volumes of where his mindset is on how not to waste your life. Let me read this for you. Once again, it, it's in that U version. So if, if you want to find that link, uh, you can read more about it and, and actually watch a video that he shared shortly after it as well. So last night when I went to bed, I was cold. By the way, one of the things that his body also can't do is regulate its own temperature. So it, there's no way to stay at 98.6 at it, there, it just doesn't happen. I went to bed. I was cold. Lori put a couple of blankets, Lori being his wife, uh, put a couple of blankets over to help me warm up. She even tucked the blankets over my shoulders to ensure I'd stay warm overnight. It worked well, and I quickly fell asleep. This morning, I woke before the sunrise. I'm guessing it was around 6.15. When I first woke up, I realized that I couldn't move at all. Nothing worked. I tried moving my arms, my legs, even my eyelids. No luck. As I lay there, I began to wonder, is today the day? The doctors have been warning me at, that at some point in time in this process, I would lose the ability to control any of my movements. Could this really be the day? I took a moment to thank God for waking me up today and then made the determination that if I had anything to do with it, today would not be the day. I quoted some of my favorite scriptures, reminding myself that I can do things through Christ who gives me the strength that I need. Then I went to work. I focused on moving my arms. 
but the blankets were too heavy and too tight for me to move them. I focused it my hardest until finally my eyelids. Now, I, just grasp this for a second. Eyelids. How many times have you blinked in the last couple of seconds and he can't move his eyelids? I was finally able to move my eyelids just enough to allow me to survey the room. Although blurry, I could tell it was still dark. I continued to push with all my strength, trying to move my arms. I grabbed at a wrinkle and tried to move the blankets awfully. Slowly, inch by inch, I was able to nudge it off my shoulders, straining with everything I had to break out from the weight of the blankets enveloping me. I realized that I'm living the illustration that I use in my message, value in the struggle. I am the butterfly in the cocoon. It's a familiar story to all of us. The caterpillar finds a branch or a leaf, spins himself a cocoon, and then goes through a metamorphosis. Over a period of time, the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. When the transformation is complete, the butterfly begins this hard process of breaking out of the cocoon. He struggles and pushes and slowly breaks through the cocoon. He frees himself of his constraints and is able to fly away. If you want to short-circuit what God is doing in the life of a butterfly, help him out of the cocoon. The problem is, if you make it easier for the butterfly by peeling away the cocoon, it will come out of the cocoon with underdeveloped wings, unable to fly. See, it's in the process of struggling to break out of the cocoon, pushing and straining against its constraints and the blood that begins to flow into the wings, that the wings develop their strength. See, when the butterfly finally breaks out of the cocoon, it's ready to fly. There's value in the struggle. God designed it that way. As I struggled to break free from the constraints of the blankets, I had to laugh at the irony of my situation. I determined I was going to do this. I wasn't going to call out or wake up Lori to help me. I was going to win this battle. I fought with all my strength at points resting, sometimes falling back asleep. I watched the sun rise through the blinds. I continued to fight, resisting the feeling that I wasn't going to be able to make it. I asked God to help me, to give me the strength. And after more than two hours, I finally broke out, moving the blankets enough to lift my arms and move them freely. It felt like a major victory to get my arms out from underneath the blankets. I laid in bed and quietly celebrated that today, indeed, was not the day that I would stop moving. I did wake Lori up and ask her to give me my morning meds, and I continued to struggle, and by 10 a.m., I was finally able to move my legs. With every small victory, I was reminded there is value in the struggle. It was a great feeling when I finally rose out of bed and grabbed my walker to make my way to the kitchen. We see that story, and we read that story, and I think about that testimony. I think, man, this morning when I woke up, I uncovered myself, and I got out of bed. didn't take me two hours, because if it did, I wouldn't be here yet, because I didn't get up two hours ago. (laughs) But you have to think about that. And we think about, man, how often do we want to give up and how often do we want to struggle through? And, and there's value that is in the struggle, and we see it in, in, in Greg's life here as he talks about it. And not just in the words that he spoke, but in the life that he lives. And we see it in Paul's life. In, in everything, he says, if you take away anything that I have, anything I have, I still have Christ because you can't take away that from me. And that's why he's able to write in Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ and to die as gain. See, how can we possibly say that dying is gain? He's in the prison living this out, and there's a jailer talking to him. The jailer in the process, and them talking back and forth. The jailer says, hey, bull, we're going to kill you. And he says, hey, to die is gain. And they said, well, then we're going to let you live. And he said, no big deal. Living is Christ, and that means I get to preach the gospel more, and I'm going to start with you, bro. You know, that, that is the conversation that's going on in this jail cell. That is what's taking place right here and right now. And as they're talking about that, he says, I treasure God first, and everything else is second. Because when those things are second, when they are finally forfeited, and once again, it's a terrible way to to picture it, but everything on earth is temporary. We will lose it at some point in time. 
It depends on how hard we hold on to it to how we respond to that loss. Because I meet people all the time that say, how could God, a loving God, cause suffering like this? How could God do this? And he says, no, no, no. See, the whole plan from, from, well, not from the beginning, but shortly after the beginning was that death entered this world. And when death enters this world, everything that is in this world will pass away, will be gone, will be taken from us. So if we are holding on to it tightly, that's when we say, how can God let this suffering take place? And when we don't, though, when we have the right perspective on things, it changes it all because there's nothing in this world that compares to Jesus Christ. Nothing. And as we wrap our minds around that, it's hard. It's hard for me as, as well because it's not the culture that we live in. It's not the American culture and it's not the Christian culture that we live in. See, we are geared to minimize suffering as much as we can and maximize comfort. Is it not? I believe truly in my heart that every invention that has ever been made has been made to make us lazier and more comfortable. And some people will say, I've been on a treadmill and an elliptical. Well, you know why that makes us lazier and more comfortable? Because we don't have to do it outside. Even though it abuses our body and does those things, it's because it, it makes it where we don't have to do some other sort of work. Everything that we have makes us more lazy and more comfortable. And it's about getting more things to make our life easier. I want more stuff because stuff makes me happy and makes my life easier. And that's what makes me happy. But when I lose that stuff, when something's not working about that stuff, I get frustrated. I get angry about it. You know, it, it's funny. It starts at a very young age. And once again, uh, I'm going to go back to the beginning. When I talked about sports, I wasn't saying don't put your kids in sports. And at the same time, I'm going to say right now, I'm not going to say drop your kids out of school, okay? But listen to this. What is the point of us getting an education or pushing our kids to do the best they possibly can in school? Money. If you break it right down to it, it is money. Because when they get the best education, then we don't have to pay for them to go to college. They can just go to college. And what do you go to college for? You go to college to get a job. A good job. A job is going to pay you money. And as we get money, we can live on that money and we can have all the stuff that we need and we can put it all in storage sheds that we're going to talk about here in a second. And we can get all of those things and we can get all this stuff in order to what? Retire, right? And retire and have a nice life and then die and coast into that eternity that has mansions and gold streets. Am I right? Isn't that the American thought? That is it. Boom. We're there. That is where we want to be. Does Paul write about that? Is that the life that he is saying that we should be living? No, because I, I have a feeling that when we get to that point, there's going to be this waste, a waste of a life to go through that. You know, I was talking about this, this idea of, of, uh, of moving forward. And, and how do we go through it? See, Paul says, I want, I want to maximize that suffering so I can fully rely on Christ. And when we're fully relying on Christ and not holding on to our stuff, it gives us a whole new perspective. Because when we're relying on all of our stuff, when we're relying on all the things that we have to have, it chokes Christ out. See, there, there's really two things that it, it destroys, the person of Christ and the mission of Christ. Because the person of Christ is who we want to get to know. But when we are too busy focusing on all this stuff and Christ just becomes a part of our day or a part of our week, not even our day, then then we kind of choke out, choke out what he has for us. And then on top of that, we have this mission. This mission that Christ, before he left, he gave us. And he said, I want you to go and compl complete this great commission. To go and to make disciples. To make disciples of people. To make followers of me. 
And I believe truly that if our mindset is on stuff and the temporary things that are in the lost column, we will miss out on the mindset of Christ and we will miss out on the completing the, com- the Great Commission. We will never complete the Great Commission if we continue to hold on to things. Did you know, 76% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Any idea on why that is? When we're the richest nation in the world? Or one of the richest? Because we spend it on more stuff. You know where that more stuff goes? Storage shed. Landfills. There are 49,000. 49,000 off-site storage facilities where you rent a place, put all your stuff in. 49,000. I'm not sure uh, when we, because we don't have any storage in here, so I looked into them. The cheapest one I could find was $110 a month. $110 a month to store our stuff in those things. I looked up um, that it is a $22 billion a year industry, the storage shed industry. $22 billion a year they make for us to put our extra stuff in. You know how much of that extra stuff people know they have in there? Yeah, probably zero. We, we had a bunch of extra chairs, and one of the guys here has a, has a storage facility, so we put them in there, and while we were there, I was watching people open up their thing, and it, I mean, it was literally jam-packed with boxes. How many of them know what box is behind this first box right here? How many of them had any idea of the things that they are storing in there and paying $100 a month for, $1,200 a year for, that they could easily just replace with that extra $1,200 if they had to have it? You know, I think about those kind of things, and I looked at it, and I said, wow, that, that is crazy. I talked to a guy this week, and he was asking about storage in here. And I said, oh, yeah, we don't, we don't have a, a whole lot, so we have to do some stuff. Uh, you know, my garage is now storage, and, and there's some different things. And he goes, oh, yeah, because I hate that. Because I have a three-car garage, and he goes, I don't, I don't have any cars parked in it. It's nothing but storage. Because there is a path from the door to the garage to the outside door, and there's another path that goes to the refrigerator that's out there. That's all the room that I have in my three-car garage. And I went, wow. I was like, wow. And he goes, and I have a 20 by 10 storage shed that's packed to the gills. I said, I think it's time to sell some stuff. <laughs> you know, that, that is it. I mean, we hold on to things. We hoard things. And I really think that when we can't let go, how in the world can we possibly let go of the things that are, are so comfortable for us for something that's not? When Jesus says, I need you to go talk to your neighbor, neighbor that, that's, that's uncomfortable. I need you to go to another part of the, the city that is a little bit more downtrodden, that is not quite as, as, as lifelike, is not full of, of wealth as yours is. Maybe I need you to go to another part of the country. Maybe I need you to go to a different country. And we say, I can't do that, God, because I can't let go of my stuff. That's a, that's a hard place to be at. And I look at that and I think, wow, what is that? It's us putting the things that should be in the loss column above Christ in the gain column because somehow we think they're going to do some things. And we look at it and we say, you know what? Man, I really, but I, I need that stuff. No, see, that stuff that we treasure, that stuff that we chase after, if it's not Christ, it is wasted. And if we want to say, I want to have my life count for the, the glory of God, I want to have my church count for the glory of God, I want to have my, my friends count for the glory of God, we can't be chasing after stuff. We have to be chasing after Christ. We have to pursue Christ. We have to understand that he is all that we need. We have to understand that. And when we can get our minds around that, the things that we lose, though it will still be painful to lose things, it won't be as painful because we're not holding on to them as tightly. I can't see the clock back there. Good. I'm still under 55 minutes, so you're good. Um, the, uh, the thing I look at here, 
the thing I look at here is, a, is it, it all wraps up in a guy by the name of George Mueller. Anybody ever heard of George Mueller before? George Mueller was a, was a pastor in England. And he was in the 1800s. And George Mueller, um, when he got married, he and his wife decided they were going to, uh, they were going to start an orphanage. And they were going to bring kids into their house. But the one thing they said is they're not going to ask anybody for anything. They're strictly going to get on their knees and pray to God. Now, he was a pastor at this church for 66 years, which is just mind-blowing in itself. But he also, as being a pastor, um, started this orphanage. And, and he started working with this orphanage. And if you read his autobiography, it's, it's almost unbelievable the way that his prayers were answered, the way that we saw his life uh, live out what he actually believed, to say, I'm not going to ask, I'm only going to ask God. When he, there was times in the, in the orphanage when he had kids that it was time for breakfast and they needed milk and they had no milk, instead of going and, and pleading to somebody to say, hey, you, can you bring us some milk? He'd get on his knees before God and say, God, we need milk. And at that same time, there'd be a knock at the door and this milkman would be standing up front with his cart broken down and saying, hey, my milk's going to spoil because you guys use some free milk. And you'd be like, what? That doesn't happen. How? What? But it's story after story after story of that. And he never took a salary, and he never went out of his way to ask for money. He didn't go get up in front of the church and have a big giving campaign. He didn't do any of those things. And by the end of his 66 years, he had built five orphanages that, that housed 2,000 people. And you're talking 1800s here when I say this number. Remember this. At the end of his ministry, at the end of his life, they accrued his wealth that he had received and, and given away just by prayer, not by asking, $7.5 million. Not by asking for it, but just by asking God because he understood that God could provide everything that he needed. Everything he needed to make that mission, make that mission happen. And, and like I said, I, I skimmed that story. Read his autobiography sometime. Get online, just Google George Mueller and the stories that happen. You're just like, Unbelievable. But what if we could have a faith like that to say, God will provide, that Jesus is all I need. I don't need all of the other things. The other things are just blessings that are on the side, but they are not God. They are not my gods. This is my God, and this is who I'm going to pursue. I told you I, I really wanted to get through points three and four today as well. That's not going to happen, but I'm going to give you a little teaser on what three is for next week. The third thing is these people who want to make their lives count, they pursue Christ with obsessive passion they pursue christ with obsessive passion but what does that mean what does that mean why should we follow hard after christ if he's already pursued us and he's already got us why should we press on and move forward like paul talks about good questions we'll answer them next week let's pray together father thank you thank you that you've given us the ability to even meet here to be able to sit and be able to hear your word and be able just to to wrap our minds around it and i look forward god to to what's going to happen next. That we have 360 more days of, of this year to write a story that says, this is my story for God. This, this is me turning my eyes to where they need to be. This is me not just singing that, Jesus, you were worthy because you died on the cross for us, but me living out my life to say that you are worthy, that you are number one. Is it going to be easy, God? We know it's not. Do I fail every day? But God, you are a forgiving God and you are a loving God and we don't have to rest on that failure that we can look forward to what you're going to do instead of look back at what has already been done. 
And God, we know that through Jesus Christ, you see us as your perfect sons and daughters. We're thankful for that. We pray it in your name this morning, Lord. Amen.